Hey, everybody. Welcome to Draft Politics. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and with me from across the pond. Hello, it's EJ. Here I am in lovely London, England. It's local for me, not local for Steve. No, no, no. But uh, yeah, he had to travel this week, so we're doing this remotely. Uh, kind of an experiment. We'll see how it goes. But um, we're going again. We've already recorded the national part of our podcast. Uh, hopefully, you've already listened to it by this point in your week. Uh, but now we're going to talk about what's going on locally, uh, Chicago, uh, a little bit of suburbs, and uh, the state as well. So, and if you're if you're thinking to yourself, boy, we'd rather that they're always together there in Chicago recording at the same time in the same locale. Uh, like us on iTunes or Stitcher. Give us feedback, and so maybe we could do this full time, and I wouldn't have to travel. Yes, some just just click the click a star on on iTunes or on Google Play, or you don't have to even give a full review. Just click a star; it'll make us happy. The star makes us happy. So let's talk about Chicago, the state, and the suburbs, color counties. Yeah, you, yeah. You want to give us a, a kickoff here uh, with some some more office raids I mean, by the feds? We all knew this was coming, right? So we've seen things building for the last year across various and sundry aldermen. Now, leading up today to the office of Kerry Austin being raided by the feds. So Kerry Austin, again, another longtime alderman, somebody who was staunchly, staunchly old school Chicago politics, was proud of things like nepotism, appointed her son to be the streets and sand uh, commissioner for her ward, you know, was willing to say things like, well, Lori, I'll be very loyal if you give me a party or a committee chairmanship, like just openly. Um, Yeah. Raided today by the feds. I mean, we don't know a lot of details yet as they are. They're sketchy, but it's a surprise, not surprised. Yeah, and I mean, you had talked about this, I think it was last week, we were talking about the the uh, RICO investigation of Burke and that going you know, up before it would then go wide. This may be the first signs of it starting to go wide. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how many other aldermen are just sort of quaking in their boots. Or if sales of paper shredders have gone through the roof around the city. Because there are still lots of aldermen who were closely allied with Carrie Austin, Burke. I mean, I've got to think Walter Burnett's next. I'm just tossing it out there. You did not hear it here first. Yeah, and we have no information to suggest anything. But, you know, uh, this might be a good time if, if you're in that position to go walk the Appalachian Trail. You know, something like that. Get, get out of Chicago Wait, and the, run now. Is that a euphemism? Is that the <laughs> but, you euphemistic know, I mean, walk the Appalachian Trail when you really mean go to South America with your Oh, lover? you don't. Yeah. No, I, 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 yes, exactly. Yes. You, you, do, you do get the reference. That's good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think it's, it's obviously they've got a lot of information. They're going to start, you know, reaching out and doing more raids and more investigations and flipping people. So 
a lot of the Chicago machine is going to be falling apart here is what it sounds like. So we'll, we'll see, you know, I mean, obviously some people might, might not go to jail over it and, you know, given Chicago, they might remain in office in spite of it, but you know, hopefully that uh, that's going to help move things forward. There for you to say they might remain in, remain in office because of it. Yeah. I think that also could be well, true. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also been a lot of, uh, news this past week and a half around Lori Lightfoot's office. Again, coming into office, shaking a lot of things up. Uh, not really a traditional politician, although probably more polished than your average non-politician. I'm saying some things that ruffled some feathers, especially with uh, the police and the union. Yeah, and so uh, apparently... Uh, as we talked about Memorial Day, and we had mentioned this on a previous podcast about the violence around the Memorial Day weekend. Um, she had suggested there was a rumor that the union was telling their officers, quote, don't do anything over Memorial Day weekend. Don't intercede. Um, and there's no evidence to support this. She said it was a rumor that she didn't. No. She hoped it wasn't true. Yeah. But you can't do that. <laughs> and I think, like, as the mayor, that's not something well, you can do. I think she said, and if it is true, there's going to be hell to pay or a reckoning, right? So and she gave it way too much credence. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, in a weird way, maybe it's a positive for her because a concern that a lot of uh, activists had was that she was a little too comfortable with the way the police were being operated. Um, and they were concerned that that's, that would be a problem as she was mayor. And obviously this puts her at odds with the police union. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. That is a really, really good point because you had people who said, or essentially who say, if you're a prosecutor, you're a cop. So for her to come out now and do some things that would put her up at odds with the police, I don't know what that does to their narrative, if anything. If that narrative existed beyond the election, I don't know. But, you know, I think it does create an interesting contrast. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing that came up uh, with Lightfoot, um, there were some FOIA requests uh, related to the Laquan McDonald investigation. And um, sh- that basically was pushed back by her office. Um, she said she agrees the documents implicating, this is a quote, uh, she agrees the documents implicating a matter of significant public policy such as these should be made available in a timely manner in accordance with the law. Um, but there's a gag order in place from a judge that is nominally hindering this. And so that's there, but then her administration didn't necessarily push back against that and really actively try to fight against that gag order. So it's really hard to say what her position on this actually is. Um, it is currently, a, there's an appeal by news organizations in Illinois around that FOIA request. This is something that, you know, that was a part of her campaign promises. So you would hope she'd be on the side of getting that information out there. And it's not reading like she's really on board with it. Right. And I thought it, it was a little unclear to me. It was sort of seemingly playing both sides we can't release this. We think it should be released, but there's a skag order and there's an, a lawsuit to vacate that order. And we're not really going to defend it, but we're not going to. Yeah. So we'll just see what happens. Um, I was hoping for some more sort of stance on this. Um, and I could appreciate that she wants to respect the 
the order, but I also was hoping that she would and her administration would call it out as being something that didn't need to be in place. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would benefit her to just be very clearly in favor of getting that information out in the public. Um, Whatever dark secrets may lie in there that, you know, she may or may not be aware of, you know, I think it's, it's going to be better in the long run to be on the side of, I wanted to get this information out there come what may. And so, you know, because eventually it's going to get out whatever's in there. We saw that happen already with the Laquan McDonald video that came out in the first place. So, you know, and, and ultimately Rom isn't mayor largely because of that. And so, you know, being on the right side of this matters for her down the road if she wants to remain being mayor. Yeah. And I would say, I'm guessing here, but I think there is a very, very small chance that she does not know what's in those documents. Her position in the oversight board previously, her experience as a prosecutor, I I think she probably cares and would want to know. I think she is a details person in that way um, and would have wanted to know previously before she kind of staked her public reputation on it. And now as mayor, I think she is absolutely aware of what's in there. And so she may have concerns about, you know, how does the public respond to us and any sort of civil unrest that might follow that um, for good reason. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. But it, it, I, this is one of those things where, like, I really wish she would be very clearly on the right side of it. We'll, we'll see how it yeah, goes. I, I hope so as well. Um, Another thing that uh, in Lightfoot news is she's really started to actively start working towards her reelection in a few years. And uh, there's a cost a lot of money to run for office. And so she started doing that fundraising. One of the things, though, that makes me optimistic about her is where her money is coming from. Uh, If you look at it, she has raised one point three million or so since the April 2nd runoff. Uh, the biggest single donation came from a labor union or, or from the laborers union is what the quote was I had. So um, 50,000 from uh, the sprinkler fitters union and our 25,000 from unite here, which is a uh, union that represents workers in hospitality. So that's a lot of big money coming from labor. And so I feel like that's overall positive sign. If you look at what ROM's money came from, it was a lot more in the financial industry, real estate, the things that sort of have, you know, promoted that central Chicago core over the neighborhoods and, and the needs that we have across the city. Yeah. I, I think that that's an interesting collection of, of folks that have, have donated now right after the election. And it would be interesting to kind of do a breakdown of where that money went at various times relative to the general election, and then the runoff. We know that unions in their forms are very active in Chicago politics, and that's fine. That's great. That's a good thing uh, for the most part. Uh, we also know that unions kind of band together to form almost union packs, right? So, you know, whether it's, you know, something like the laborers group, which is, you know, a few unions that kind of come together, or if it's uh, broader unions that, are 
trying to pool their money to have a broader influence. Again, all very interesting, and it would be it would be maybe pretty cool to see those trends uh, across the candidates prior to the general, after the general, and then now, because we didn't see that money going to her um, before the runoff, right? So I I would be surprised if we saw sort of parity uh, between Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot in some of those expenditures by unions. Um, and I, and, and again, sure. I'm, I'm hoping that you know, everybody kind of comes together and pun intended sees the light and are working together in one way or another. But again, intellectually, I would be interested to see some of those distributions and maybe we can get a chance to dive into Illinois sunshine and take a look at some of those before our next podcast. Yeah. And if you don't know, Illinois Sunshine is this really great resource. All of the campaign spending and uh, and and uh, revenue raising is all tracked in this single website where you can go to it. And you can see in really granular detail where they're getting their money from, where they're spending their money. So you can see, oh, Amea Pawar takes Lyft instead of Uber. Like, that's the level of detail in this system. Um so it's it's interesting to see that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, I think that'd be a good thing for us to take a look at. Um, one thing as I was looking through a lot of this stuff about Lightfoot this week is I've noticed that like, I feel like I'm almost trying to find the negative things about Lightfoot, if it, it, which sounds a little weird, but like she's had a lot of good press and there's been a lot of good things coming out. Uh, and so I feel like it's sort of behooves me to sort of like, okay, is there something that I'm missing? Is there something that's been getting? And overall, it's been pretty good news so far. I, I would agree. And I, again, I've said this before. I'm a big Lightfoot supporter. Have been sort of since the beginning, since she came out and decided she was going to run against Rom. Big, big fan. Big fan. And I do kind of look for things. And I feel myself sometimes saying like, Oh man, am I just trying to be that spoiler guy now? Am I looking for some troll kind of reason? Um, I I don't think so, and I'm I'm still pretty happy with what I've seen and what I've heard, and I hope it continues. Yeah, it is, and it's something it's it's difficult in politics where you kind of you root for somebody and get on their team and you come to back them and you want them to succeed because you've invested personally in them. And so there's always that, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt where it doesn't necessarily need to exist. And so it's always, and you know, and as we try to be at least a vaguely journalistic enterprise, <laughs> you know, that's something that we kind of have to be mindful in ourselves and try to push back against. So, um, yeah. A vaguely journalistic enterprise should be the subtitle of our podcast. I think you're right. Sounds good. <laughs> and and uh, uh, well, yeah. and I was gonna say, and look, uh, I don't think that we'll agree with a hundred percent of what Lori does. I really hope we don't, because I think that'll mean that we're not looking hard enough. That would be weird, yes. But also, I would hope that she brings the kind of change that makes sense. And I know lots of people who are in City Hall who work for the city government who have worked for city government who were all kind of 
girding themselves against the change. They, you know, they've seen the way Chicago politics works before, right? You could imagine somebody runs against the person who hired you or the administration that hires you or against what they stood for and they clean house. And that doesn't seem to have happened. So I think there's been a thoughtful continuity, which also makes me feel good as a pragmatist, but I could also see how it would make other people feel wary. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that politics is just another kind of job. It's a very weird kind of job, but you know, ultimately people have careers built on that. They have to go through these elections and that's how they, you know, reapply for their job. But, um, you know, if you go into office and you, you know, win an election, you just start getting rid of people left and right. There's that has consequences and it and creates anxiety for people who have been there for a while. Um, you know, so you've got to always be mindful of that. And it's it's a tricky thing to do to both respect, you know, that career aspect of it with but also recognize that there are things that need to change and certain people are going to be resistant to that and and thwart what you're trying to do. So let's just call this out uh and dog agrees clearly. Yes, we have one dog in the bar uh today. I I do not know what kind of dog Dog. it is, but very 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 doggly it is dog. So if you look at anti establishment candidates and I think to a great extent, Lori Lightfoot was one, right? You had Lori Lightfoot against Tony Preckwinkle, longtime political person. So Lori Lightfoot is anti-establishment, came in with an idea of making things better, I think, in a way that was best for everybody, as opposed to maybe our president, who was an anti-establishment candidate who said, I'm going to get rid of everybody who doesn't 100% agree with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 overturning the table for the sake of setting up a new table that has better things on it versus just overturning the table right. for some men value. just want to watch the world burn. Yep. Speaking of that, shall we move outside of the city of Chicago? Well, before we do that, one thing to call out, uh, I th- thought was interesting. Uh, indicted Alderman Joe Moreno uh, was apparently uh, seen attending the Biden fundraiser. I don't think there's any real conclusions to draw from that but it's always just entertaining to you know you've got a fundraiser you've got indicted people showing up at it you know i mean what you will from that honestly what percentage of fundraisers for president republican or democrat have indicted folks uh there i mean it's got to be 10 percent, 15 percent. well yes you got nothing to lose (laughs) might as well spend the money Right. So uh, Michael McAuliffe uh, moving up to the state. He's a state rep from Chicago. Is he the last, the last GOP state rep from Chicago, from the city? Yes. Yes, he is. I feel like we should, you know, play an, an exit song. I don't know, like, goodbye, Republicans. You've, you've all lost your minds. Sorry to see you go, but not really. In my head, it's goodbye, GOP. Yeah, to the tune of goodbye, Norma Jean. We can we could fit this all together. Right. This I'll make that all <laughs> happen in post. Auto tune sure. me, please. <laughs> and it seems to me you lived your life.
Goodbye, GOP. So, I, I think that this is actually notable, right? So, the last state representative from Chicago, from the GOP, we last the last sort of Republican alderman uh, five years ago. I mean, everybody considers Chicago, again, a very blue city. But now, is there any dissent? Yeah, it looks like no. Yeah, it's... it's I mean, part of me wants there to be, you know, diversity of opinion and all that sort of stuff. But, like, when you look at the Democratic Party within Chicago, there's a diversity of opinion there. You know, you've got... I mean, I think the only thing is, you know active racism, active xenophobia, active anti-LGBT views, those are where you're going to not be in that spectrum. But if you're just generally speaking okay with human beings being human beings, you're, you're in the Democratic Party and that's, you know, and you're going to have very conservative economic views versus very liberal economic views and yeah. you'll all fit and, right and in there. In fairness, you know, I don't want to imply or say that um, Michael McAuliffe was any of the things that the National Republican Party seems to be espousing right now. Yeah, I think it's worth calling out that, like, in general, the Illinois version of the Republican Party has, is not nearly as nuts as the national. Right. Version. With the exception of the the Nazi who ran for rep. But, uh, but even, then, <laughs> even then, even then, it was a very Democratic district yeah. where most of the Republicans vote for Dan Lipinski. And the few who just vote Republican, he was like the only guy running. And so therefore he ended up getting the nomination. So, yeah, in the you know, system. if you show up and the only Nazis on the ballot and that's the ballot you've got, I mean, you should write in somebody. Right. But, you know, I guarantee you a lot of those people didn't have any clue that he was a Nazi. Right. I, it's, it's fair. It's fair. Kind of, but I feel like you should. Yeah, know. I See, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to give him some benefit of the doubt, but I'm like, well, still, how do minute. you do yeah, that? It's not like he's he was subtle about it, right? I think his the ballot actually said, "I'm a Nazi" in the middle of the thing, uh, but you know, I think that was his right. middle name actually right. on the ballot. But it was one word, so maybe you overlook it. The <laughs> right, like uh, I am, uh, and they just couldn't pronounce it correctly. Then they wouldn't have voted for him anyway. Because maybe they thought he was an immigrant. So <laughs> that's right. Exactly. There you go. Right. So we've decided there's no excuse. Great. Okay. We, we have judged you. <laughs> I'm sure for, for, for those of you who are in Illinois, uh, was that, is that the 13th district? I think it is. I think it is the 13th. The Illinois, for those of you who are Republicans in Illinois, 13th district who are listening right now, we judge you. We're not sorry. Yeah. Thank you. All right, but please, but please review us on iTunes <laughs> and Stitcher and Stitcher and Stitcher. <laughs> All righty. So let's, let's talk about the suburbs. Now, you know, in our previous podcast, we haven't gotten to the suburbs. We haven't really talked about what's going on there. Yeah. And I know we've had some And I want to do a, a shout out to uh, one of our listeners because we actually have a listener, at least one, uh, Connie, who has... Uh, I get. I believe she lives in Evanston. She's talked a little bit about what's going on there, um, and I said we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Finally, we're getting to it. So, take it away, EJ. I mean, 
Let me tell you what's going on in Evanston. Everybody's favorite topic, zoning shenanigans. I mean, nothing says municipal politics like zoning laws and how they're being doled out and how decisions are being made about them. You know, especially as you start to look at, you know, we're changing the zoning on buildings to maybe benefit one, you know, group of people or a developer or group of developers. And I think that's what we're seeing in Evanston, right? Yeah, and I think it's like, this is where corruption happens at a municipal level. It's in how um, real estate is developed and who gets paid and who does not and what zoning happens and what does not. And you see that in Chicago, you've seen taking some of the aldermanic privilege away from control of that sort of thing. Uh, Here in Evanston, there in Evanston, here I'm in Chicago, there in Evanston, you see uh, that they've been playing around the zoning rules. So what happened was there was an office building that was uh, being planned. There was public support to stop that from happening. So they did what you're supposed to do. They got uh, all the petition signed that would uh, uh, stop that building from happening. And what that petition signing does is it bumps up the number of votes that you need in order to approve that building going from two thirds to a three quarters approval. So that's a pretty tough bar to get over. And there's no sort of aldermanic privilege tradition. Yes, not that I'm aware of there. Who cares if it's two-thirds or three-quarters because everybody's going to agree. That's not the case. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was, because of that petition, uh, the city council moved to instead just change the rules of that particular zone. So rather than rezoning it to fit the building they changed the nature of the zone and so effectively bypass that petition and move it back to being to that two-thirds approval to approve it. The side effect of it being that any other zone where that would where that rule would apply um, would now be open to that kind of building happening, which may or may not make sense depending on what zone that is. I mean, that's a lot of math. And so... We're talking about not, you know, changing or approving a permit or a change for a building, but just saying like, look, nobody wants this building here the way it is. So we're going to change the way that all of these kinds of buildings are treated across Evanston to make it easier to pass. Yeah. And so the alderman who's been pushing for this uh, is Judy Fisk, apparently, um, so, you know, I mean, it's kind of the same. It's just, it's so very familiar to Chicago politics. And I suspect it's probably true of politics in any, you know, any major city, you know, anything above, you know, a few small municipal buildings um, where that's going to happen. And so, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But it is it is a pretty questionable way to get around uh, what is what seems to be the will of the people. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who, strangely enough, uh, he lives on the East Coast and he has a vacation home in a small sort of picture it, you know, Jersey Shore kind of city. And he said the most corrupt people he ever met, and he grew up in Philadelphia, were the city councilors in that Jersey Shore kind of town. Because what they said is, well, anytime somebody wanted to tear down a house and rebuild it into condos and resell it for 4X, they would have to come get a zoning change. 
and he just talked about how they had broken the zoning code up into these very minute, discrete areas so that they could extract maximum value out of each vote. It was both saddening and inspiring at the same time. <laughs> right, right. And it's a town of 7,000, right? Yeah. And the city councilors are all millionaires from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so you mean you try to think of that at the scale of a place like Chicago or Evanston, where that's you know obviously a much bigger place. It's a, it's a little, little different game. So, so the other interesting thing uh, that came up this week is around the Freedom of Information Act. So, for those of you who don't know, FOIA stuff that's that's dictated uh, by the state for the most part. So, you know, Freedom of Information you kind of hear it bandied about, but each state has their own laws. Um, I'm pretty familiar with the Chicago, or I'm sorry, with the Illinois laws, uh, having been subject to FOIAs in a previous uh, a previous commitment. Uh, but this has come up recently in sort of a city FOIA-ing, is that a verb? Itself. Yes, or, it is now. Yeah, it is now. It's a very hard to pronounce verb, but it is a verb. Self-FOIA? So a self FOIA in Evanston between the city clerk and and the police, right? Yeah. So uh, Devin Reed is the city clerk of Evanston and uh, went election in 2017. And one of the things he's been trying to do as city clerk is get access to the body cams uh, from the police in Evanston. And he keeps getting denied access from the, the remainder of the city. And so he filed a lawsuit around this uh, back in May um, to get access to that footage. And what the city is saying is that they are following the state rules on access to body camera footage. So this gets into a whole realm of law that I didn't really didn't know about until we started looking at this uh, particular thing. So apparently, if uh, the police, in the, you know, they're going through the course of duties and things are being recorded, if there's no official investigation there's no filing of a complaint or anything like that that video is not seen by anybody other than the person who's in charge of you know getting the video off the device and storing it that video is then stored for 90 days and if nobody mentions anything that might bring that into question that video is destroyed at that point and so Evanston saying, well, there's been no official inquiry on any of these particular police. And so therefore, it is not something that he would normally be allowed to see under Illinois law. And so it's an interesting conversation to have, I think, because part of it is, you know, you're on your job and you're being monitored throughout the entirety of your job. And so there's going to be things in there that are going to probably look bad for you that aren't necessarily things you should be fired for things that shouldn't be a, you know, a, any kind of civil or criminal offense, but just, you know, you're cussing at somebody or you're just being lazy or whatever. And the, the, the things that all of us do at our jobs. And so there's a rationale to say, that's not going to be something that the public sees um, that other people, generally speaking outside the police aren't going to see. But at the same time, there may be things that are happening that aren't part of an official police investigation, aren't part of some filing that then are kind of hidden for 90 yeah. days and then destroyed. 
it feels somewhat disingenuous to just say, well, you know what? It doesn't really count because there was no official within 90 days. He did, I don't even think they said they destroyed it. I think they just said that they could have. And so you don't have to show it because this could have been destroyed. Well, I, I believe the rule is that they do have to destroy it after 90 days if there's been no official inquiry. So I have to, I'll, I'll, I'll double check yeah, that. It, it uh, wasn't in the entirely here. clear to me. Um, and I think the other interesting thing is just, you know, kind of what we talked about with Lori Lightfoot earlier, right? So you have an elected official of a municipality at odds with the police force in that municipality. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So I, I just looked this up to be sure. So um, it must be retained by the law enforcement agency for 90 days. Under no circumstances shall any rec... Under no circumstances shall any recording made with an officer-worn body camera be altered, erased, or destroyed prior to the expiration of the 90-day storage period. Following the 90-day storage period, any and all recordings made with an officer-worn body camera must be destroyed unless any encounter captured on the recording has been flagged. So my guess is there's probably a slight gap between when that 90-day period ends and when it's actually destroyed, but that it's effectively treated as destroyed at that point. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Does make sense. So, I mean, you know, so, I mean, the thing of it is, is I, police are in a position of special privilege. And so there is more of a civil reason to have access to that. But at the same time, you know, obviously they have, labor considerations and like what is that what is it like to be a cop and what is the work that you're doing and making sure that it's not you know completely miserable and you're having your every moment watched and also what is your responsibility to elected officials of the the people you're supposed to be serving and protecting so to speak you know and i think you know using the foia law there is interesting um, and trying to play that against some of the laws that came in after the FOIA law, specifically around body cams and recordings. I, I would kind of hope that this drives towards some clarity about you know potential conflicts between those two laws. Because I think in the end, we're all worse off if our elected officials and our police are at odds with one another. Uh, we know that we're worse off when our police are at odds with most of the community, but I think when there is no oversight or when the police feel like they should be pushing back against elected officials all the time, that puts everybody at a difficult impasse. Yeah. I mean, I feel like one of the... One of my concerns about and this comes to a lot of like kind of civil service type of jobs like, you know, firefighters and police and teachers is I feel like over the long term, we've underfunded these things. We've made it more and more of an onerous job to have. And so at some point you're weeding out people who would like, for example, like, you know, I, I teaching sounds like a cool thing to do. I'd like to do it. I don't want to get a teacher salary. 
And so it is something that I have you know, written off because I'm not willing to settle for that salary. And I'm sure that that's true of police as true of firefighters. And in, in, on top of that, the dangers involved in those jobs. And so as you underfund those things, yeah. how does that change the pool of people willing to do those jobs? And what is the yeah, attitude and, you of know, those people towards those jobs? One of the things that I found interesting jobs? being from Michigan is and, that they ha- there has been a systematic effort to make jobs like teaching look less appealing by people who want teaching jobs and public schools to be less appealing like the DeVos family. So yes, because they have an interest in making those privatized and, and it has a totally separate angle from the actual job of teaching. But I think all of those public service jobs you see being maligned in one way or another and of course, my cynical brain goes to who benefits from this and who is punished from this. So really, even though we weren't in the same locale, I think it was a really great conversation today about the things that keep happening in Chicago. You know, I think we're going to continue to see some of those changes across uh, the city with Lori Lightfoot and what's going to keep happening on the legal front. Um, we've got a lot to look forward to in the next few weeks and months and i'm looking forward to talking about it with you steve yeah and i'm glad we could finally get a little bit of a suburban action in there um you know for those of you who may have listened to this podcast um maybe just seeing us on facebook or whatever you know if you've got some tips on things we should be covering you know please let us know um you know i had somebody else uh ping me about the uh the foia request that i hadn't been reading that so you know anything you can do is great please review us and rate us um, you know, before we wrap up, though, we we got a second beer here, and I don't feel like we've talked about our beers enough before we go. Oh. So uh, in London, uh, what beer are you having at the pub? I am having, and this is a great named beer, I'm having a beer called Little Creatures. It is a, they call it American Pale Ale. It's not really, uh, but it is very tasty. Uh, it's from another local brewery here. I'm really enjoying it. It's not a brew dog. Uh, so those of you who come over here, there's a lot of brew dog here in London. Little Creatures, I think they only make a couple beers. Super, super good. Um, I'll probably have another one tomorrow. It's after midnight now, so I'll wait till... Actually, I'll have one later on Thursday. Uh, but I'm going to have another one. Can't recommend it enough. I can't also recommend enough coming to London to try the craft brew scene because it is really awesome, really compact, a lot of good beers in a very small area. Sounds good. Yeah. And I'm here uh, at the bar that is close. Well, the, not the bar, but the uh, brewery that is closest to me, Dovetail. Um, and I'm currently drinking their, uh, their raspberry sour-ish beer. I forget the name of it right now. But uh, it's quite good. Um, it's uh, got a little more tartness than I've had in kind of this style of beer before. Uh, really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it seems like Dovetail, it's like the very traditional German style of beers. And then they've specialized also in these sours using their cool ship and really trying some interesting, innovative stuff. And so uh, it's quite I mean, good. But, I uh, love Dovetail yeah. for that. You know, they, they have their gig. They are running with it. And if you want that style of beer, 
it's a fantastic place to go. And it's close to your house. Absolutely. So don't stalk, don't stalk Steve. Don't stalk Steve. Uh, yeah. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Um, once again, make sure to rate us and review us wherever you can. And uh, hopefully you'll hear, for, uh, hear from you there and uh, talk to you next time. All right. Rate us on Stitcher.